Greetings, fellow educators. It's Kayla Selinski here, and welcome to Superintendent Transitions, brought to you by Macbeth Academy, pioneers of equitable K-12 virtual education since 2016. If you're looking to upgrade your district with engaging, empowering, and equitable 21st century strategies, this is the podcast for you. And as you listen to today's episode, we want you to think about your school and how you can use our podcast to jumpstart your district's 21st century education journey. There is always room for improvement. Superintendent Transitions is brought to you by Macbeth Academy, a fully accredited K-12 virtual academy. We partner with public school districts to help keep students enrolled and learning in their home district. To find out more information about partnerships, visit www.macbethacademy.org. That's www.macbethacademy.org. Welcome to the Superintendent Transitions podcast. This is episode five of season one. I'm Kayla Selinski, your host. And like you, I am many things. I am a podcast fanatic, I started my own virtual academy, I'm the mom of two little boys, and education leadership is a huge part of my everyday life. In today's episode, we will talk about assessments after COVID-19. What does assessments mean after COVID-19? How can we make assessments equitable and even empowering for our students? In part one, we critically analyze assessments. The big question here is, how has COVID-19 shifted our approach to teaching students to assessing what they know, and to assessing what they can do. In part two, we read passages from Assessing with Respect by Star Saxteen. She argues that it's time to transition to alternative assessments that empower students and help build social-emotional skills that will help these students grow into productive adults. In part three, we hear from the author herself, Star Saxteen. She is the Chief Operating Officer of Mastery Portfolio LLC, a nationally board-certified teacher, and the author of Assessing with Respect, Everyday Practices that Meet Students' Social and Emotional Needs. During the interview, Ms. Saxteen reviews Assessing with Respect and gives tangible advice for how to empower our students with assessments. Part one, Rethinking Assessments. What are assessments? When educators think of assessments, this can mean a way for educators to gather data on what a child knows and how well they can demonstrate that knowledge. Traditionally, this means quizzes, unit tests, and standardized tests, among other things. But let's step back. Let's remember that we are testing and assessing students, whole students who will grow into adults. As educators, we have to think about what are the skills that we want these children to master that will make them effective adults? Star Saxton introduces us to the five core competencies of the Collaborative for Academic, Social, Emotional Learning, or CASEL. And this is the first time that I've been able to pinpoint five skills that I want all of my students to embody. These five core competencies are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. These are all social-emotional learning competencies. Saxene proposes a very easy plan to incorporate alternative assessment strategies for each competency. According to Castle, self-awareness concerns our ability to recognize our feelings, name those feelings, and identify the impact that they have on our ability to learn. Saxene mentions that self-awareness is really self-reflection for our students. So educators, how can we incorporate self-reflection into assessments to help students identify what they know and what they can do? 
Self-management means the regulation of our feelings and our ability to organize and motivate ourselves. We all want our students to better regulate their feelings, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic. Feelings have been all over the place. So we have to figure out how can we teach students how to set goals, how to reflect on their past work, and how to develop an understanding of an assessment as a way to understand their scope of their knowledge and skills. How can we help them manage themselves? Social awareness means how students build perspective and empathize, which is so important after the COVID-19 pandemic, when so many families are going through constant tragedies. Saxene helps readers understand that social awareness means cultural awareness and diversity. When students are culturally sensitive and socially aware, they can respect their colleagues and respect their peers in a meaningful way. Relationship skills means building sustainable and healthy relationships that connect us to one another. We can help teach students these skills through collaboration, as well as open and safe communication. Educators and education leaders are so important here. We need to facilitate students working together, give them problem-solving tools, and teach them how to regularly use these tools in order to know how to actively listen and create these safe spaces where they can practice these skills. It's up to us to start that conversation in our schools and school districts. And finally, for responsible decision-making, Students learn how to make good choices by being able to take stock of situations and consider possible outcomes. So educators, how are we helping students make better choices? How are we empowering our students to work through disagreements and to become more self-reflective? All five of these are core competencies for social-emotional learning. These are life skills that we need to incorporate in our regular assessments if we want the skills to be perfected in our students over time. Part two, assessing with respect. We're all on board with assessments. We know the core competencies that we wanna focus on to help our students become successful, emotionally and socially competent adults. So the next step is, how do we do that? Better yet, how do we do that in a sustainable way? Star Saxine says to start with relationship building. Relationship building means a lot in a school or a school district because there are so many stakeholders, students, parents, teachers, administrators. But Saxtine says it so well. She says, we're all on the same team. Since we're all on the same team, we have to think about relationships in terms of subgroups. What is the teacher-student relationship? What is the teacher-parent relationship? And how are educators communicating to our education leaders? So in terms of starting the school year on the right foot, teachers can set the overall tone for the school year by writing a welcome letter at the beginning of the year. This letter can share a little about the teacher, about the scope of the course, and share the learning expectations for the semester of the year. At Macbeth Academy, teachers make a one-minute introductory video that will live in the learning management system so that students can be greeted by a warm face well before the semester begins. Teachers can also implement student interest surveys, which are short surveys that help students express how they learn best and what their interests are to help develop those self-reflection skills. The next relationship is the teacher-parent relationship. In Assessing with Respect, Saxton recognizes that parents are a huge part of student success. Educators and education leaders can work to intentionally foster that positive parent-teacher relationship by sharing good news about the children. Weekly celebratory calls are always welcomed by parents and help parents join in on the celebration of their child's weekly wins. Education leaders, 
We are the captains of these schools and school districts. It's up to us to set the tone for this open, honest, and collaborative work environment. When we foster open collaboration, we can lead the charge to develop a system-wide culture that celebrates our teachers, our students, and our community members. Star Saxton says it so well. She says, although we're all invested in helping students learn, we haven't always done a good job of considering all of the aspects of how and why learning happens. And that's so true. Before we can assess learning, we have to make sure that students consider school and the class to be a safe place to learn, to share their ideas, and to be heard. I'm remembering back when I was in middle school, I was very much afraid of the red pen, the red pen that the teacher uses to grade your papers. I was one of those kids who attached their self-worth to their grade, and I suffered from debilitating test-taking anxiety because my self-worth was attached to my grade, my grade point average. And it wasn't until I became an educator that I understood that assessments are not to make you feel bad about yourself. Assessments are to assess how effective the lesson was, not how smart or how worthy you are as a child. Life would have been so different for me if I had felt that formative assessments and homework were just practice. Practice is the best way to get better. It's not a reason to take away points, but a way to see how well I'm learning the material and how well I can complete tasks or create new things with the skills I'm learning. Bringing kids into that assessment process is so empowering and can definitely help them change their view of grades and their self-worth in the classroom. Rethinking assessments means rethinking the purpose of assessments. And as educators and education leaders, we need to be on the same page about what assessments mean post-COVID. Part three. Today's guest, Star Saxton, is the Chief Operating Officer of Mastery Portfolio LLC, a nationally board-certified teacher, and the author of Assessing with Respect Everyday Practices That Meet Students' Social and Emotional Needs. Here's what she said when I asked, what is one piece of advice you have for superintendents who want to assess with respect? I think the first most important thing is you have to break the status quo because something about a grading system is kind of ingrained in us because the system expects that you get a grade at the end of everything that you do. Like that's what signifies that you've done it and you've been communicated how well you've done on it. Um, but what I learned over the time that I was in the classroom was that those grades seldom actually represented what kids knew and could do. My best efforts to make it that way, but there are so many things that we end up counting or not counting that ends up really moving away from the point. And, and it always starts kind of with teacher clarity. What is the point of this assessment that I'm trying to right. learn about with kids? And then I know as an English teacher, something I was often very guilty of is even though I may have been assessing one thing, there were all these other things that started to play into what that final grade looked like. For example, if it was turned in late off or um, as an English teacher, if I was looking to see how well a student was able to communicate their understanding of a book, I started ripping apart how well they communicated those ideas, grammar and different things that may not have been on the rubric at the time that then became um, almost too big of a factor instead of really just focusing on do the kids understand what they're reading. And over time, I kind of learned that developing really targeted formative tasks 
that aligned with the standards and skills I needed students to know. I could then really, really, really zero in on the specific things I needed to be assessing and only assess those things at the time that I was doing it in terms of levels of mastery, not in terms of grades. So if you're doing a project-based situation, teach a mini lesson, and then you're doing a workshop style class, you're going around, you're listening in the small groups. You really want to do small group projects with groups because that's where they're going to do their practice. They're going to lean on each other. That's the formative process. You will never grade a grouped project ever again. Never, ever. Because you just don't know who's responsible for that learning. You could give them tons of feedback. You could say what elements worked really well. But the second part to every project that you're doing with groups is an independent written assignment or other product that asks them to apply the skills they learned in that group project. So you could really make sure that the assessment you're giving to each individual kid, which is also why reflection is so important, because if you're in a group, you could talk about what your contribution was. You could um, dissuade them from talking about group members who didn't pull their weight. Only focus on the portion of the learning that they did and what they took away from that experience. The differentiation then comes in the feedback that you pr provide. So we all know we spend tons of time back on work rather than just cutting and pasting the same feedback on every single assignment really understand where each kid needs to be and then focus on those things if you have a kid who has is really struggling and there's big issues like organization or lack of development you can't go into transitions and diction and vocabulary if they have bigger issues the content's not even right so you need to make sure that you're hitting where they are and you're all like you don't want to overwhelm them with feedback you only want to make sure that you're giving them what they need at that particular time and then you're giving them time to practice before you go in to assess them again so if you start to write on a student piece product and you notice you are writing more than they have written you're going to overwhelm them. And it does, um, e even though you want to tell them everything they did right and wrong, that does no one any good. What I would recommend is if you see them making the same mistake repeatedly, mention it once or twice, and then say, I want you to go through the rest of your paper and look for this specific thing, trying this new strategy every single time, because that will be a demoralizing moment for them to see what that looks like. Absolutely, especially that. I remember getting papers like that uh, in math, and it was so much red pen. It's just kind of made, I've lost sight of what I was doing wrong, and it's just like, oh, I'm not smart. Yeah, and that's and, and that's actually a perfect segue into the book that I just wrote. Yes. That is exactly what we're trying to avoid. Right. Every single child is smart in their own way. Our job as educators is to figure out what way that is. And instead of doing the deficit style teaching that most of us are accustomed to, where we're telling them where they're wrong all the time and telling them how to fix it, find the thing they're good at and we strengthen. We make them feel good, we lift them up, we, we help them feel confident as learners. Yeah. And then as they're, as they're being lifted on their strengths, we start to layer in underneath that the stuff that they need to continue to work on by pairing them with kids whose strength might be where their challenge is, where, where there's a balance and it's not so much like you have one strong kid working with a kid who's so far below them that that kid who's far below knows 
that they're the 2T and the other one is the teacher. Right. What a crappy dynamic to be a part of. You know, you got to know your kids really well and they have to trust you. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Superintendent Transitions. I'm hoping you learn something that you can immediately take to your district. As you know, I am the founder of Macbeth Academy, a nonprofit K-12 virtual school founded in 2016. We're partnering with school districts all across the United States and in two countries and counting. Wow! Districts are partnering with Macbeth Academy because our mission is to make virtual education equitable, engaging, and fun for all students. To learn more about partnering with Macbeth Academy, please visit our website, www.macbethacademy.org, www.macbethacademy.org. And to learn more about how you can partner with me, Kayla Selinski, you can definitely visit www.kaylaselinski.com. That's K-A-Y-L-A-S-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com to request my virtual school readiness toolkit. And definitely subscribe to this podcast. We are growing, we're learning. There's always something more to learn and bring to your district. We have so much more in store for you. Wonderful guests, useful information, and many, many great insights to come.